Hi guys, welcome to this episode sponsored by Elanco and featuring Dr. Jocelyn Mott to discuss an incredibly exciting new medication that could change the way that we treat many feline diabetics and potentially save a lot of lives. On the one hand, I appreciate when the blood work shows diabetes. I have a definitive answer for an owner about why their pet is drinking and peeing so much or losing weight despite a normal appetite, but of course, that's just the first hurdle. The next part entails, as many of you know, a very detailed discussion of how and when to administer insulin, how this will affect the owner's lifestyle, and if they can afford and accommodate the treatment required to manage this beloved cat. Are they comfortable giving injections? Do they understand how to monitor clinical signs at home? Can they come back for regular monitoring or manage maybe a continuous glucose monitor at home? So you can imagine, when I heard that there might be a pill that could treat a number of these patients, my curiosity was instantly piqued. A pill? A once daily pill, given with or without food, I was truly questioning, is this real? Because it kind of sounds too good to be true. Well, folks, good news for all of us, it is real, and Dr. Mott is here to tell us all about it. Dr. Jocelyn Mott graduated from the Western College of Veterinary Medicine in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, Canada. After graduation, she completed an internship in small animal medicine and surgery at Oklahoma State University, and then a small animal internal medicine residency at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. Dr. Mott is board certified by the ACVIM in small animal internal medicine. She was a clinical professor of veterinary medicine at Western University of Veterinary Medicine in Pomona, California, and a practicing internist and co-owner of Pasadena Veterinary Specialists in South Pasadena, California. Dr. Mott is currently a postdoctoral associate in feline and canine diabetes at the University of Florida, go Gators, College of Veterinary Medicine, with a broad range of experience, Dr. Mott has worked in small animal referral practices in Massachusetts, Texas, Florida, and California. She's worked in industry, performing clinical research in veterinary nutrition. She's authored several publications and book chapters in veterinary medicine, and is an international speaker in her field of expertise. She's co-editor of the veterinary textbook, Five-Minute Veterinary Consult, Clinical Companions, Small Animal Gastrointestinal Diseases. Currently, she's actively engaged in clinical research, clinical trials, and clinical practice in the exciting field of feline and canine diabetes, and she's here to talk to us about an exciting new update. Let's go ahead and get into it. Well, for this episode, I'm joined by Dr. Jocelyn Mott. We're actually we're recording digitally here, but we're right down the road from each other. So Dr. Mott, thank you for joining me You know, digitally here. Yes. <laughs> I'm happy to be here. We're so happy to have you. This is a really interesting topic we're talking about here. And as a matter of fact, my sister, who is a physician, she said, hey, are you guys using these SGLT2 inhibitors? And I was like, actually, we are. Like, there's there's this thing, and we're talking about it, and we're learning more about it, and hopefully going to be implementing this. So I'm so excited to dive into this topic more. Great. So let's start with the basics, because I will be honest, when we first started talking about this, I really, this was not something I was familiar with or I'd even really heard of, but we're talking about Bexacat here, which is an SGLT2 inhibitor. What is an SGLT2 inhibitor? 
Yeah, sure. This is new territory for us in veterinary medicine. So this isn't something that we've known about before. So SGLT2 inhibitors are sodium glucose co-transport inhibitors, and they work at the level of the kidney and they inhibit the ability of the kidneys to reabsorb glucose. So essentially they're spilling glucose into their urine, these diabetic patients are? Yeah, so normally diabetics spill glucose into the urine, but they're able to absorb or reabsorb a good portion of that. So what these inhibitors do is they actually interfere with the kidneys being able to reabsorb that glucose. And they also lower the threshold at which cats will spill the glucose. So diabetics, they actually their renal threshold goes up. So it takes more for them to spill the glucose. And that's part of why we see the hyperglycemia. So with the SGLT2 inhibitors, we actually see that renal threshold decrease. So they spill even sooner. Okay. And so spilling this excess glucose into their urine, does that cause the body to want to make more glucose or does the body kind of tolerate that without trying to then up that blood glucose level? Yeah, well, the interesting thing is, is that even though they're spilling all of this glucose into the urine, they don't become hypoglycemic. So their glucose levels, their their hyperglycemia hopefully resolves into a normal glycemia, but they don't become hypoglycemia. So there's no stimulus for the body to be producing more glucose. Okay, interesting, interesting. So in using this medication... Are these used in conjunction with insulin? You know, are we trying to lower the blood glucose level and, you know, maybe use less insulin by spilling more glucose into the urine? Or are these a monotherapy? Yeah, so right now, these we're looking at these as a monotherapy. So these have been used in humans, uh, human diabetics, since probably 2013. And they probably have about four of these on the market right now. And it's actually approved in humans for type 2 diabetics. So those are usually going to be diabetics that aren't on insulin yet. They do use it some in type 1s, but that's not where the FDA has had approval. So what we're finding is that in cats, there's a lot of cats that will respond to this drug by itself without the addition of insulin. And so we're actually recommending that cats that have been on insulin are not good candidates for this. Okay, so let me make sure I heard you correctly, that if a feline diabetic patient has been on insulin, then they're at this point not really a candidate for this medication. Right, because they do need to be able, their beta cells still have to have a little bit of function and they have to be able to secrete some insulin in order to have the SGLT2 inhibitors. So cats that have been diabetics for a while and have been on insulin are more likely to have a beta cells that may be completely exhausted. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. So which cats are good candidates for Bexacat and how do we screen our patients to make sure that we're choosing the best candidates for this medication? A good candidate for Bexacat is a newly diagnosed diabetic cat that's otherwise healthy and has not or is not currently on insulin. A cat that's anorexic, lethargic, or dehydrated at the time that you diagnose diabetes is not a good candidate for Bexacat. It's also really important to screen these cats with blood and urine tests to try to determine their eligibility for this medication. 
If the cat has evidence of liver disease or reduced renal function, then this is not a good candidate for Bexicap. If the cat has clinical signs of pancreatitis, a history of pancreatitis, or diagnostic imaging consistent with pancreatitis, or an FPL greater than 5.3 micrograms per liter, that cat also is probably not a good candidate to initiate treatment with Bexicat. If a cat is in DKA, then it's not a candidate for Bexicat. And finally, if beta-hydroxybutyrate is greater than 37 mg per deciliter, or 3.6 millimoles per liter, or if beta-hydroxybutyrate is greater than 25 mg per deciliter, or 2.4 millimoles per liter, and the cat has a history of renal disease or metabolic acidosis, then that cat should probably not be started on Bexicat. So now thinking about these diabetics, when we initially make that diagnosis and we're doing the consultation with the owner, we're talking about how to give insulin and, and all the things to do, dietary therapy is something that we make sure and include. Yep see what the cat's eating and can we change some things around and there's some other lifestyle changes. Are there lifestyle changes we should be keeping in mind with these cats, specifically dietary therapy? So there was a study that's several studies that were done with Bexicat and there was no diet requirement or no standard diet with those studies. Although low carbohydrate diet was supplied free of cost to the owners if they wanted that. So some of these cats were definitely on your, your typical prescription diabetic diet, but there was a number of them that weren't, or they were on some combination of a diabetic diet plus something else. And we, although we didn't study diet as a separate variable, didn't seem to make a difference as far as their ability to respond. The other thing that's interesting is we know on the human side, one of the risks if they're on an SGLT2 inhibitor for DKA is a low carbohydrate or ketogenic diet. So we don't know how that translates into veterinary medicine at this point. Interesting, interesting. So one of those stay tuned things, but still exciting because with insulin, I mean, that can be a real point of frustration when you're, you know, you're just not getting the effect you want with the insulin and this cat refuses to change anything about its diet or, or maybe the owner refuses, but more often I, I find the cats to be the cantankerous ones in that relationship. <laughs> So the fact that the studies looked at these cats that maybe were on a specific diet, but maybe weren't and still saw success is really exciting. Yeah, it is exciting. One concept that we talked about when I was initially introduced to this drug is glucose toxicity. But you, can you explain glucose toxicity and what it is? How do we mitigate it when we're managing diabetes mellitus? Sure. So when a diabetic is diagnosed, they're hyperglycemic. Okay. And if they're hyperglycemic, that actually impairs the ability of the beta cells to secrete insulin. And what we find is that if we can get that hyperglycemia improved, that all of a sudden some of those beta cells may then be able to function and start secreting insulin. Okay, so the glucose toxicity, meaning that the glucose is suppressing beta cell function. And so when we lower the glucose, then the beta cells can function again. Potentially. So if, if we're able to do that, if they're diagnosed and we're able to deal with their glucose toxicity fairly quickly, then those changes to the beta cells are potentially reversible. But what we see in cats that are diabetic for a long time or have been treated with insulin for a long time 
and they are still not well controlled is at some point that becomes irreversible and their beta cells can't recover. So then they're not able to secrete insulin. So this drug potentially works for those cats that still are going to have the ability to secrete insulin. Okay. Is there a way to know that? Does that just have to do with like longevity of how long they've been diabetic? Yeah. So there's not a good way for us to be able to tell if a cat when they're diagnosed is able to secrete insulin or not, because keep in mind, some of those we're, we're diagnosing them their beta cells right now are being suppressed because of the high glucose levels. So they're not secreting insulin. So even if we looked at insulin level at that point, it may be low, but once we deal with the glucose toxicity, all of a sudden they then can secrete some insulin. So we don't have a good test in veterinary medicine to be able to say, is this cat going to be able to secrete insulin or not? So the things that we can look at are newly diagnosed ones. If it is a cat that has had DKA or is currently on insulin, those are probably going to be ones that are more likely to have problems as far as secreting insulin. Got it. Got it. Okay. That makes sense. So another term that we discussed when we were talking about Bexacat, we were talking about the mechanism of action and its effect on filtered glucose. Right. And again, if I'm the only one that is not 100% clear on what filtered glucose is, still be nice to me. So can you talk to us about what filtered glucose is in case I'm not yeah. the only one who doesn't know that term and yeah. how that relates to Bexacat's mechanism of action? Sure. Why don't I, I'm going to back up just a bit and even go through what the normal kidneys handling of glucose is. That sounds good. It's been a minute since I've thought about like the true renal physiology. Yeah. So SGLT are membrane proteins and SGLT2 is found in the proximal, the early proximal tubule of the kidney. And in health, so normal, normal kidneys, there that SGLT2 is responsible for reabsorbing about 97% of the glucose that goes from the bloodstream into the urine. Okay. There is another membrane protein called an SGLT1, and that's a little further down in the proximal tubules. And that reabsorbs about 3% of the glucose that is filtered from the blood into the urine. And so in health, 100% of that glucose should be reabsorbed back into the bloodstream. Okay. Okay. If we use the inhibitors, the SGLT2 inhibitors, we're interfering with the reabsorption of that 97% of filtered glucose so that we no longer get that filtered glucose being reabsorbed in the proximal tubule. Interestingly, when you use an SGLT2 inhibitor, SGLT1 is able to go from reabsorbing 3% up to about 40 or 50%. So it tries to compensate, but it can't can't make up for the amount that the SGLT2 reabsorbs of glucose. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. The physiology of this is still just blowing my mind that we can just take all this extra glucose and be like, just pee it out, just pee it out, it's fine. And the body won't go crazy trying to make a bunch more glucose and raise out those levels back up again. It's like, it's this beautifully simple mechanism, which I'm sure it's not simple at all, but you know, just the the overall concept of it seems overly, I don't know, it seems too easy. 
Yeah, well, you know, part of this came about from people will have actually mutations of SGLT2. And what they found is that the people would present with glucosuria, but they were normal glycemic. So even though they had, they were spilling this huge amount of glucose into the urine, their blood glucoses were always normal and they were never going hypoglycemic. It's so exciting. So, you know, in, in the exciting. vein, yes, in the vein of that excitement, tell us about the clinical trials. How did it work? What kind of success levels were we seeing? So Bexacat has gone through a couple of different clinical trials. The first was the pilot study where cats were receiving Bexacat once a day for 56 days. At the end of that pilot study, about 80% of cats were considered treatment successes. From there, the cats that responded were invited to go on to the pivotal study, and that continued for another four months, or a total of 180 days on Bexacap. From there, some cats continued on to an extended care study, and at day 728, 85% of those cats were considered treatment successes. Wow. Sounds pretty successful. Yeah. In addition to that, a once a day administration. Tell us a little bit more about that. Is it a liquid? Is it a pill? Is it an injection? Yeah. So it is a tablet. It's a flavored tablet. And you basically give it, it's 15 milligrams. That's for all cats that are greater than 6.6 pounds. Okay. And you give it once a day, regardless of what their blood glucose level is. You can give it with or without food. And we just recommend it. You give it about the same time each day. So no longer having to wait, you know, when we give insulin, a lot of times we've always trained our clients that you need to make sure that they eat before we give the insulin. There's, there's no correlation there. They don't have to eat to get the drug. Amazing. I mean, certainly giving your cat a once a day pill that isn't dependent on food sounds like a lot easier feat than doing twice daily injections that do depend on food and that have to be timed rather specifically. So despite the difficulties that pilling cats can present when we're talking about a diabetic patient, I mean, it seems like a, a way better option than the alternative. Right. And we did find there were some cats where the owners crushed up the pill in the food and that's, that was effective as well. So as long as they're getting the pill in, that's an option for them too. There we go. And we want them on some canned food anyway. So there, mm -hmm. there we go. Right. Right. And it's a lot of freedom for the owners. Yes. A, a huge amount of freedom. I mean, I'm even thinking, even if you have a really good pet sitter who you trust to do twice daily insulin shots, it's a lot easier ask of somebody if you want to leave town or something along those lines to say, hey, can you give my cat a pill once a day rather than can you give twice daily insulin injections? Right. And I, there was a study that took a look at the quality of life of owners with cats with diabetes. And some of the negative factors were definitely that they didn't want to leave their cats with family, friends, boarding because of the insulin injections. So they sure. felt restricted with their lives and what they could do. Yeah. And from a boarding perspective, I mean, that can be a real challenge. I've, I've certainly encountered that of you know, technicians coming up and saying, hey, well, he didn't eat. What do we do about the insulin? And if that happens once, well, okay, we can deal with it. But if it's going on for an extended period, it can really create some challenges. Right, right. So what kind of numbers are we seeing with Bexacat? What does glycemic control look like with this medication? 
Sure. So it's going to be a little bit individual for each cat. But in general, what I'll say is that the the numbers are very impressive. So a lot of these cats, when they were on the medication, had blood glucose curves that we just don't see with insulin in general. So it wasn't unusual for the cats, even on day one, to be started on Bexacat, their initial blood glucose could be in the four or five hundreds. And then by the end of the day, doing an eight hour blood glucose curve, we might be down into the hundreds or even below that. Wow. But they never got concerningly hypoglycemic. No, no, there was, there were actually no cats that became hypoglycemic on the drug. And I feel like we very rarely see that kind of result with insulin when we first try it. Usually that glucose still hangs out pretty high and we have to up it because we start conservatively. So to get this kind of instant control sounds really good for our patients, for their owners, for, for us. Everybody wins. It's pretty amazing. And to not have to worry about hypoglycemia, like that's one of the major factors that we have when we're trying to treat our patients with insulin to get them really well controlled, we risk hypoglycemia. So not having to worry about that is a really great thing. Yeah, absolutely. I'm getting excited about this. (laughs) Now, along the lines of not getting hypoglycemic, I understand that in humans using these drugs, there's a condition known as euglycemic DKA, which sounds terrifying. Yes. Um, Can you explain to us what that is and how it relates to cats being treated with Bexacat? Sure, sure. And this is something that we did see in some of the cats. So we all know what DKA is, but the thing that's different with this particular drug is if they're on Bexacat and these cats come in and they're a DKA, their glucose levels are going to be normal. And so it's not unusual for veterinarians to look at that and say, well, the glucose is normal, even though they have ketones, I'm not going to treat this like a DKA because the glucose level is normal. And when these drugs were first introduced into human medicine, that was actually a big learning point for them. There were people that were coming into the ERs and they were not being recognized or treated as DKAs because they were euglycemic. That sounds really scary. So basically, if they're on this drug and they're sick and we're finding ketones in their urine, we need to treat them like a DKA. Exactly. How do we treat a normal glycemic DKA? Yeah. So what the the first thing that you do is you stop Bexacat. Okay. And then they need to be treated with fluids. They need fluid support. They need to be treated with insulin. And if they're euglycemic, they may actually need dextrose as well. Okay. So that's, it's just like treating, you know, your normal DKA cats, but it's very important that they need the fluids, the insulin, and they potentially need a carbohydrate source. Okay. And I might be getting too much into the weeds here for what we're talking about on our podcast, but I'm thinking of dosing insulin in a euglycemic cat. So are we talking like an insulin dextrose CRI kind of treatment? So however you want to treat the DKA, so whether that's the CRI or whether it's doing sub-Q or IM injections, but the big thing is, is that, yeah, you're right. If they're euglycemic and you're going to give one unit of regular insulin, their blood glucose is going to drop. So you're definitely going to have to supplement them with intravenous dextrose. 
Okay. Okay. That makes sense. That sounds really scary, but, <laughs> but with the alternative of, you know, what, what all the positives we talked about, what would kind of cue us into this being a euglycemic DK? We kind of talked about if they're sick and they have ketones, but what would mm-hmm. we tell owners to look for? So the biggest things that we, we want to make sure that we educate owners about is if their cats are anorexic, hyperexic, lethargic, weight loss, or dehydrated, those are all indications that they should stop Bexacat and see their veterinarian right away. Okay. And their veterinarian should be looking for the possibility of DKA. Okay. So it sounds really similar to a cat on insulin. We said, you know, if any of these happen, you need to come see the vet. And usually in that case, they end up diagnosed as DKA. The difference here being we really need to make sure and check the urine and check for ketones because they might be euglycemic. Yeah. And what I would even say is that we know that urine, when we check with the dipstick, we're, we're testing for acetoacetate. And we know that in the, on the human side, when they first become DKA, it's beta-hydroxybutyrate, which actually goes up first. And so for these guys, it's worth checking serum beta-hydroxybutyrate because you may actually pick up that being elevated before they're spilling ketones into the urine. Okay. And to check the serum beta-hydroxybutyrate, this is probably not something we're going to have available in-house, correct? Actually, yes, you can. There are portable ketone monitors that take a drop of blood. There's one called the Precision Extra, and it runs about $25 on Amazon. I'd recommend that if you're treating cats with Bexacat, you should have one of these portable meters in your practice. It's important to remember, though, that with the portable ketone meter, the units are in millimoles per liter, whereas if you're sending it out to the lab, the beta-hydroxybutyrate will probably be measured in mg per deciliter. But it's really easy to convert. You simply multiply millimoles by 10.3, and that'll convert them to mg per deciliter or vice versa. Okay. Okay. Well, that's good to know that we can just, you know, we can have this other form of testing in addition to the glucometer and it can, it can give us our answer. And so serum beta-hydroxybutyrate, not necessarily in the urine. Right. So if you, if you've got ketones in the urine, you've got an answer, but if you've got a cat that's on Bexacat, just not doing right, and your urine is negative, go ahead and check the serum. Okay. I'm glad you brought that up. I feel like that's a good knowledge nugget to have in mind when we're treating these cats. And and again, you know, it kind of makes you feel better to know there's a, a relatively inexpensive in-house test we can do to check these cats as we're starting to adopt this drug. Right. And in some cases, it's also worth monitoring that when you're rechecking these cats, even if they're doing well. And in those cases, you could send it out to the lab if you wanted. But you definitely want to be able to to get an answer of that pretty quickly if you have a cat that's not doing well. Sure, sure. That makes sense. Is there any sort of like dose dependency here? Or is it one dose per cat? It's one dose per cat. Yeah. Which in a lot of ways makes it easy. <laughs> yeah. If they're <laughs> less than three kilograms, then we don't recommend the drug. Okay. That makes sense. If they're less than three kilograms, we have bigger problems. Yes. Yes. Well, this seems like a huge breakthrough when it comes to the treatment of diabetes. We talked about all the upsides for owners, the freedom, quality of life, quality of life for the cats, all kinds of things, ways to deal with 
potential negative side effects that seem very similar to what we would deal with with insulin as long as we know what to look for. Mm-hmm. What are your your hopes, your dreams, your expectations, your excitement for wide use of this medication? Well, I think it's it's super exciting drug and I think it's really going to change our ability to monitor and and treat diabetic cats. So really with this drug, my hope is that we're actually going to have a lot of cats that would be euthanized if they were going to receive insulin actually be able to be treated. So we know that approximately 10% of diabetic dogs and cats are euthanized at the time of diagnosis. And reasons for euthanasia, definitely insulin injections, having to do that Time commitment is another on the part of the owners as well as finances. So I think that this potentially is going to save a lot of diabetic kitties' lives, and that's what we hope. That would be amazing because it is such a devastating diagnosis to give because some owners, they're all in, and then others, you just see it right there from the jump that they're like, I can't do this. It's not going to work for one reason or another, many of which are perfectly legitimate, or, you know, you have the worst is you have an owner who's all in and then it ends up like they can't inject the cat or it's damaging the human animal bond and all these other things that can happen. So exactly, yeah. To have an option where we can we can give these cats a chance just sounds like a huge breakthrough. Yeah. And what what we have found too is some of these cats that were on the study for one reason or another, they ended up having to come off of the drug, but the owners were then willing to go ahead with the insulin treatment. So sometimes it buys time for them to get used to having a pet with diabetes. Ultimately, we hope that they're able to stay on the drug and that's all they need, but it it may actually, in some cases, people that would have otherwise euthanized their pet gives them a bit of time to get used to that diagnosis and hopefully want to pursue whatever they need to do. Very cool. Very cool. Well, Dr. Mott, this has been so fun and so exciting. Thank you so much for joining me. Of course. Thank you. I look forward to hearing more about this, learning more about it, and you know, hopefully getting to implement it in the near future. Yes. Yeah, me too. Dr. Mott, thank you so much for joining us and for all of this incredible information on Bexacat. I hope you guys out there are as excited as I am for a new option for treating our feline diabetics. I also want to say a huge thank you to Elenco for making this episode possible. And remember, if you want to learn more about this topic, be sure to check out Dr. Mott's web course on Vetfolio. For more episodes like this, click on the Education tab on the Vetfolio website. As always, we'd love to hear your input on this talk, as well as ideas for topics you'd like to hear from us in the future. Feel free to reach out to me at dvm at vetfolio.com. You can also visit my Facebook page at Dr. Cassie DVM, and you can find me on LinkedIn. And remember, if one animal is better off because of you today, it's a great day. Important safety information. Before using Bexacat, you must read the entire package insert, including the box warning. Call 1-888-545-5973 or visit https colon slash slash www.elancolabels.com slash us slash Bexacat for complete safety information. Cats treated with Bexacat may be at an increased risk of diabetic ketoacidosis or euglycemic diabetic ketoacidosis both of which may result in death.
Development of these conditions should be treated promptly, including insulin administration and discontinuation of Bexacat. Do not use Bexacat in cats with diabetes mellitus who have previously been treated with insulin, who are receiving insulin, or in cats with insulin-dependent diabetes mellitus. The use of Bexacat in cats with insulin-dependent diabetes mellitus, or the withdrawal of insulin and initiation of Bexacat, is associated with an increased risk of diabetic ketoacidosis or euglycemic diabetic ketoacidosis and death. Sudden onset of hyperexia or anorexia, lethargy, dehydration, diarrhea that is unresponsive to conventional therapy, or weight loss in cats receiving Bexacat should prompt immediate discontinuation of Bexacat and assessment for diabetic ketoacidosis regardless of blood glucose level. Bexacat should not be initiated in cats with pancreatitis, anorexia, dehydration, or lethargy at the time of diagnosis of diabetes mellitus, as it may indicate the presence of other concurrent disease and increase the risk of diabetic ketoacidosis. Due to risk of severe adverse reactions, do not use Bexacat in cats with evidence of hepatic disease or reduced renal function. Consult a physician in case of accidental ingestion by humans.